I have a strong desire to go back to 1 Timothy and uh, preach through it. Uh, we The last time we did it was nine years ago. Uh, we preached through 1 Timothy. And so, and I think we did that on a, uh, on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to try to do that on a Sunday morning uh, this time around. Um, but I'm very excited about that coming up. And to finish the book of Haggai, we're, we're kind of in a strange, uh, a strange place. We've come to this last part of the last chapter, and what we've really discovered is that we've discovered a people who have come into sin kind of by the way, if you will. They started out with great zeal, and they began to build the temple, and they built that foundation, and they came forward and, and stopped right there. Because they were getting pushback in the community. They were getting resistance around them. And then they were becoming complacent in it after a while. Well, they, they quit working. And, and when you stop working, you kind of get in that mode of just getting by. It's a lot like, very common like we found ourselves in 2020 with COVID. A lot of us didn't stop working. We just, just kind of the whole year just seemed to go by. And nothing really was accomplished in 2020. And so we find ourselves very much like the people of Israel coming back to work on the Temple Mount. Now we've come to it where Haggai is going to give them some motivation. It's, it's going to talk about flourishing today. That's what we're going to, we're going to, it's not enough for us to survive. You know, the Christian life has never been about uh, just surviving on planet Earth until we get to heaven. Now, I know that sometimes it seems like that. Sometimes we get frustrated by the, the things that life throws at us and that the devil comes up to us with and, and all the ins and outs and the machinations of, of just living life. It's difficult. It's hard. We were meant to flourish. We were meant to be a cut above. And we don't talk about it. You know, we do, we, we sit around and we go, well, you know, I, I sure wish we had a, a Christian Congress or a, a Christian president or a Christian this and that. And we want the pie in the sky, but we're not there ourselves. And we're wanting better things for everybody else and, and I guess us, but we're not willing to go there. So I want to talk to you about how obedience leads to flourishing. Obedience leads to virtue. That's the title of the sermon. It's not complicated. It deals with Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 uh, through the end of the chapter. I believe that's verse 22. Um, yeah, 23, excuse me. And, and we're going to talk about everything flourishing all the way up through the chosen people that God has put in leadership in our country and in the country of Israel. So it's all going to be tied together nice and pretty at the end of this. So if you've made your way to Haggai, chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, we're going to read that part of Scripture. So I would ask you to stand, if you would, reverence and honor of the Word of God. We'll begin here. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, or with his skirt do, do he touch bread, 
or, to, or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these things, shall it be unclean? And the priest, the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, so, this, so is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that, they, that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, or to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smoke you with blasting, with mildew, and with hail, and all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now this now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from this day, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree had not brought forth from this day, I will bless you. Verse 20 says, And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the fourth and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak unto Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. And that day, said the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shittim, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Lord God, help us. Help us to glean some things from your word this morning that we might understand the blessings of obedience and how to flourish and do what you ask us, Lord, because we want to be obedient people. We want to be your people who call by you out of darkness into light, made to flourish in the land before us. Watch over us, Lord. Protect us. Keep us safe. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. One morning, R.C. Chapman, a devout Christian, was asked how he was feeling. He says, I'm burdened this morning. That was his reply. But his happy countenance contradicted his words. So the questioner exclaimed in surprise, are you really burdened, Mr. Chapman? Yes. But it's a wonderful burden. It's an overabundance of blessings, which I cannot find enough time or words to express my gratitude. Seeing the puzzled look on the, man, on the face of his friend, Chapman added, with a smile, I'm referring to Psalm 68, 19, which fully describes my condition. In that verse, in, uh, the Father in heaven reminds us that he daily loads us with benefits. Psalm 68, verse 18 says, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, verse 19 says, who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. 
He that is our God is the God of salvation, and in the God of the Lord belong the issues from death. You know, the, the, the illustration here uh, from Dr. Chapman is one that we don't learn very quickly, very often. To be reminded that God blesses us with loads of blessings and that we should be gloriously burdened with those is something we, don't, we just don't comprehend much anymore. We think of burdens as something that we, we bear in, in harshness and in, with, with much grief and striving. Can I tell you that there are burdens that happen that are blessings that we have to bear just as much? I, I, I have seen men who have come through fires and, and you would think that nothing ever touched them. They've come through burdens that I couldn't even imagine, yet come out smiling and happy and joyful at the end. And I don't understand it always. But God is favorable to us. Even in our rebellion, he is favorable. There are times when, when I don't feel close to the Lord and when I don't, I don't meet up to what I believe is, is God's calling on my life and I, and I feel like I've let him down so much. And, and yet he blesses me despite myself. I don't even understand it sometimes. This past week, I, I have a, a personal illustration to this. Uh, for most of you, most of you know, I work for a particular company and they, they've given me a car to drive and it's such a blessing and, and uh, I, I had a very nice car, a very, very, very nice car, loved it, but it was approaching several, uh, almost 100,000 miles and it was due to be changed out and this week they changed it out for me and the car that I received in comparison is not there, right? But I have to be reminded that I have a blessing there. I don't pay for gas and I don't pay for my car. The company does. And it is a nice car. It's not that it's a bad car. It's, it's a 2019. It's a nice car. Only has 30,000 miles on it. It's all-wheel drive. It's a nice car. And we have to be reminded of the good things God puts in our lives. Even when we don't understand them. Today, I want to talk to you from Haggai about obedience leading to flourishing. And I know that there's a, we, we don't believe in a works-based uh, theology. We don't believe that, that there is a, uh, we got to work towards our salvation. We don't believe any of that. But we do believe that God is omnipotent, God is on his throne, and God is continually trying to bless us despite ourselves. I mean, the whole idea of salvation by grace is a blessing despite us. Oh, that we would live in such a way where we would receive the blessings of God and it would lead to flourishing in our lives. But what does that look like? How do we get there? God's people begin to flourish again as we obey the word. His word, particularly. God is leading Israel here in Haggai down this path to help them understand the depth of their sin. They need to understand where they are. And that's the beginning part of that part in Haggai we just read. This, is, this comparison to a corpse illustrates two central truths. First, their sin has caused them to become spiritually dead and defiled. 
Second, because they are dead and defiled, no amount of activity on their part would profit them until they repented of their sin. There is something that has to happen within the believer. We have to get to that place of repentance. Get to that place where we where we, we acknowledge that we were good, we were righteous because we were following the will of God, but then we got out of it and we started into disobedience and we need to repent. Once the repentance comes, though, obedience then begins to follow because repentance is simply obedience to the word of God. Repentance isn't hard. Everybody makes repentance out to be hard. This is what you were doing or weren't doing. Now we're, we've repented of it, of either what we were doing or we weren't doing, and now we're obedient. The repentance gets us to obedience. Then we begin to follow. I, I love, uh, there was a, a writing by Effie Marsh, or excuse me, Effie Marsh, uh, where he talks about the blessings that God gives us. He kind of enumerated them, wrote them down from Scripture. Ephesians 1.6 is an acceptance that can never be questioned. That's how God sees us. An inheritance that can never be lost in 1 Peter. A deliverance that can never be excelled in 2 Corinthians. A grace that can never be limited in 2 Corinthians 12.9. A hope that can never be disappointed, Hebrews 6. A bounty that can never be withdrawn, Colossians 3. A joy that can never be diminished, John chapter 15. A nearness to God that can never be reversed, Ephesians chapter 2. A peace that can never be disturbed, John 14. A righteousness that can never be tarnished, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And finally, a salvation that can never be canceled, Hebrews 5, 9. You see, and all the blessings you list out there and every one of you find in Scripture, it's meant for the believers so that they can hold on to something and understand that God loves them and has a wonderful plan. Now, before you start throwing rocks at me, you know, quoting Joel Osteen this morning, I need you to understand there is first a series of ideas of repentance of sin and then comes obedience and then comes the flourishing. When we as a people begin to be obedient to God, God begins to flourish us and help us to flourish. So let me give it to you. Out of this passage, here's the first point. The sin of the people had turned them away. Had turned them away from God and his blessing. That's what the sin did. In our text, in verses 10 through 14, it says this. In the 420th day of the ninth month, the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law. Now here's the, here's the series. You just need to understand it. Haggai's going to come along and he's, he's going to ask a series of questions. And he's going to ask them to the priest concerning the law. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with the skirt they do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the answer, of course, is no. So the, the point here is, is that if the flesh has been stained, the things that you're doing is not holy. Now the second part of that is, is right there with it. Then, Hag then said Haggai, if the if <clears throat> excuse me, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Of course it's unclean. And so the idea is, is that if if you have you have touched the dead body and you've gone off to touch any of these other things, it becomes unclean. 
Can I tell you that if you go off into sin or you've committed or omitted sin, omitted these things in life, it becomes sinful and unclean. The nation of Israel had, had, had stopped the work of God. It's not that they had thwarted God. No misunderstanding because God can't be thwarted. But the notion is, is that they know the will of God but then stopped it. And so there becomes a disconnect, a sin among the people. Here it goes, verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. What's he talking about? He's saying, they're trying to come back to me. They're trying to make an offering to me. And they can't because they've not repented of the sin. What they've done is they've gone off in, a, in some form of religion and chased it down. And said, well, we're going to offer to the Lord. You see, first, first point, number A under this first point is this. Our sin has separated us from God and has caused us to be spiritually dead. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 for just a moment. We all recognize this as the church of Sardis. And this is the angel of the Lord. Angel of the church of Sardis to write this. This is what it says. These things saith he that the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, that particular passage in Revelation is a warning to the church at Sardis that they've got some issues. They've got sin in the church, and they've got some that haven't gone off after the sin, but they've got some sin in the church, and they need to get this right and remember those things. In fact, it says it very specifically here. It says, be watchful and strengthen, verse 2, uh, the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before me, or before God, remember therefore that thou hast received and what thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Now the notion is, is that we're remembering, we're holding fast, and then we repent of those things that beset us, so that we can get back to it. The repentance brings us back to a place. It's a lot like fixing your car. Now that's going to sound weird to some of you. But you know, when your car breaks, and I'll give you a great case in point, last month I had a, an issue with my, uh, my wife's vehicle. I had a water pump go out, I had the back brakes work or shot, and I had a wheel bearing all at the same time. Here's what happened. I poured money into that. The money didn't increase it in value, it just brought it back to where it was. Can I tell you that repentance is the same way? Repentance is the work that brings you back to the right standing, to the place at the beginning, that place where you're right with God again. From there, you build the flourishing. From there, we start to flourish. 
But you got to get back to the place where we can begin again. Our sin has separated us from God and has caused us to be spiritually dead. We were talking about this morning. We believe that God is on the move here at Cornerstone. We've got men who are involved in Bible studies being led to start Bible studies. We've got the ladies involved in Bible studies. We've got everything going on. And we believe that God is working in the hearts of the people here at Cornerstone. And so I'm interested to see what happens. I'm interested to see, is there going to be repentance? Is there going to be a flourishing that goes on afterwards? Are we going to start the growth process that I've been praying for for 10 years? Is it going to happen? It'll happen if God wants it to happen. But it will depend upon us. And in only this way will we be the people of God and repent again and come back to where we can start to flourish. Oh, and that's my prayer, right? Point number two this morning under B, under one, is this. No amount of effort on their part would improve the condition apart from repentance. It's got to start with repentance. You see, the nation of Israel had forgotten about repentance. They wanted to avoid repentance. Can I tell you that modern man is no different? We want to avoid repentance at all costs. Hey, preacher, what if we just gave money to the church? What if we just gave land to the church? What if we just did this or that? What if we just do this? And don't make us repent. I can't make you repent even if I wanted to. See, the Holy Spirit of God moves upon people to repentance. That's not me. That's not anybody here. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He does that work. What's interesting is, <laughs> is whether we will allow our will to be bent to his or will we be like the nation of Israel stiff necked and a hard hearted people turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 I'll give you a New Testament version of this, this same notion Paul the apostle writing to young Timothy says this to him he says this so also he's writing to him remember Timothy's the pastor at Ephesus and Timothy's learning about what it means to be a pastor. And I want to tell you, 2 Timothy's invaluable for this. And here's what he says. This know also that in the last days. Now, Paul was talking at his time that these were the last days. Now bring it forward 2,000 years. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. There's a shock for everybody in the room. People love themselves. You know why I know that? Because we've all got that committee that meets about once every couple of hours. Me, myself, and I. And we have our own little uh, idea about what we're going to do, what we're going to accomplish, and, and how we're going to do it. They'll be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. They'll be boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And then my final one here, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Paul says to young Timothy, from such turn away. Can I tell you that in, in, in modern churches today, there is all these things going on, and pastors usually have to deal with them at some point or another in various different roles in ministry. But you get down to this last one in verse 5. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Here's what that looks like. For some, that looks like legalism. 
It has a form of godliness because they're doing what they believe they see in Scripture, but there's no power behind it. On the other side of that coin is the liberalism side. Legalism and liberalism, opposite sides of the same coin. They both are, are, fall off into heresy and into sin. Liberalism says, I have now been saved by the blood of Jesus so I can go and do as I please. And they go off and do sin however they want to. Meanwhile, you have the legalists over there go shake, wagging their fingers at the liberals going, no, 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 you have to follow the letter of the law. And neither one of them are correct or righteous in their own eyes or in anybody's eyes at that point. And so there becomes this disconnect. The effort on both sides of that doesn't improve their condition unless repentance is, is done. Turn real quick to Matthew 23. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he talks to the people around them as they're listening. And he says, Woe unto you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful and outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye are also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And you're playing at it. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, you're playing at righteousness. You're playing at church. You're playing it with, with the ideals of God. There are a lot of people in America today that call themselves Christian, but are no more Christians than the chair you're sitting in. How do I know that? Because they're exactly who Jesus said they were. They're the hypocrites. They're those who practice lawlessness. They claim it with their mouth. But they're far from it. Those people should break their heart. It shouldn't. It shouldn't upset you to the point of that, that you, you despise them. You don't need to despise those that are hypocrites like that. You need to pity them. You need to pray for them. You need to prove them. Why? Because but by the grace of God go I. I it's, it's every moment of every day checking yourself, making sure you don't lean too far to the legalist side, making sure you don't go too far to the liberal side, stay right within the confines of Scripture, and you go, yes, I want to do this. And I, I, I want to inwardly be righteous and holy. But I don't want to condemn people because they've fallen out of either side of that. What I want to do is help them. What I want to do is come alongside and show them the error of the ways so that they can, I, I, I make sure my own beam is gone, right? Before I ever go after their moat, right? But there is a point at which you pray for them and you tell them so. There is a point where you, where you, you give them scripture to help them, especially those of the household of God. Because judgment starts here for us. And in the nation of Israel, Haggai's coming back to the people who were sent there to build the temple. And he's telling them, look, you've laid out building the temple. You've gone off after your lives and doing all these other things. And you've forgotten or omitted God's will. Now repent. You can't come and say that you're going to be holy and righteous and make offerings to the Lord and, and be in this sin. It can't happen. 
Because that which you're doing is unholy then. He went to the priest. He said, priest, if, 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 if you go out there and you've, you've eaten from the holy things and you've gone out and you touched a dead body, what happens to the things that you've done in prior to that? Well, it's all become null and void. They become, they become, well, just like he says, corrupt. Can I tell you that if we try to do the works of righteousness, the works of righteousness, we will fail if we still stay in our sins. Now, the good news is God gives us grace. And he says, come back. He says, pull back. He says, repent. Get it right. It's necessary for you to get it right. So that gets us to point number two this morning. Point number two is the people were to consider where they had come from and be encouraged by what they had been called into. What they had been called to. Haggai verse, uh, chapter 2 verse 15 says, And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon the stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were when one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. He says, consider where you were. You expected to get this and you got this. Now read on just a little further. It, it says this, it says, and I, uh, it says, there was the 10, but then when, when it came to the press, fast dropped 50 vessels out of the press, there were but 20. I smote you with, a, with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands. And here's the, here's the, the, me to this. It says, yet you turn not to me. He says, I have made you barren. I, I've given you less than, than, you, than you needed and you didn't turn. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for us to turn our hearts back? When God takes away everything, when are we going to turn back? We, like the nation of Israel, we've suffered through some of these things. Yet have we repented? Search your heart and know where and how you need to repent to get it back and to get right again where the flourishing can start again. Because listen to the rest of it. Here's the rest through, through down through 19. Verse 18 says, Consider now from this day upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. Why this day? Because he's called them to repentance. And he says right here, we're going we're to mark a mark of demarcation right here. So that you know that it's this day. Not tomorrow, not yesterday, but today. Today is that day when we repent and God begins to bless and pour out again. He's called us to repentance. And from this day and onward and upward, will we be that people of God? Point number A under this is simple. It's necessary to remind and to remember where we come from. Those who are deeply aware of their sin also will be deeply affected by grace. You see, when you come to the place where you realize it, that you, you're in this sin and you need repentance, there is a deeper need that comes for grace. 
Oh, that the grace of God would manifest today. Manifest in that, in that way that we know once we have repented that we have a deep need for grace. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. You know this story so well. This is verses 36 through 50. And I want to give it to you piece by piece here. I'll just kind of, we'll go in and out of this. I'll set up the story here reading the first few verses. It says, one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with them. And went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, the woman in the city, which was a sinner. Now, we don't get described what kind of sinner that is referred to. We have a good idea, but we'll stop there. When she knew that Jesus sat at meet in the Pharisee's house, she brought in an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, that's the setup. Here's what's happened. Pharisees invited Jesus over. I want you to come eat with me. So they sat at me. There was nothing done to Jesus when he came in. Normally what would happen is the, uh, the servant of the house, or at least a, uh, the owner of the servant of the house, would come and wash the feet of his guests, and there would at least be that before they sat down to meet. None of that happened. In comes a woman from the city we know is a sinner, and she begins to cry and to weep, and she washes the feet of Jesus with, her, with, her, with the tears that come from her. And it begins to wipe them with the hair of her head. To worship at the feet of Jesus. She broke open an alabaster box and began to anoint his feet. Oh, what worship happened right there. But listen to the hardness of the heart of the Pharisee. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which bidden him saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. That's self-righteous so-and-so, right? He stands there in judgment of Jesus. The son of the living God. And he stands there and says, if this man really was a prophet, he would know who touches him. He wouldn't do it, wouldn't allow it. Here's what Jesus says to him. Jesus, answering him, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them loved him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave him most. He said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they, they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this who forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. 
Now, when you read that whole passage, it's really a testimony to where we are. We can apply it to the nation of Israel here from Haggai in the sense that they didn't see a need. They didn't see the, the need to anoint the feet of Jesus. They didn't see the need to wash his feet. They didn't see the need to anoint his feet. They didn't see any need whatsoever. And the nation of Israel didn't have that. They didn't see any need to go and repent. They were living in Jerusalem. Life was good. Now it's funny. We overlook the best of God. Because we, we like the crumbs. Oh my. That was almost profound. You see, we get the little bitty bits and little bitty pieces here and there, and we, we think, oh, it's so good, and it is. But we miss the best because we're not ready for what he has for us. See, repentance is like that. My truck, I'll give you go back to my truck. I, I don't know why I use that. It's, it's such a sad little thing. My truck worked with the wheel bearing out going out. Still worked. But it made this awful clicking noise. Click, click, click. You know, when it turned. Horrible. You know, the, the front brakes still worked. And the back brakes, I didn't need them necessarily. The water pump, well, it, it was leaking bad, but it still managed to, you know, keep a little bit of fluid in there and it still didn't get overheated right away. I could still drive it around and it was still okay. And, and what a blessing to have the car working in such a way, at least it still works. But when I put a little money into it and it began to work right, what a blessing happened. Can I tell you that the same thing applies here? This woman comes in with her alabaster box and her understanding of her deep need for salvation. She begins to weep at the feet of Jesus, knowing that, that it is him and him alone that shall save and as she weeps, she can take the tears that came from her eyes, wash his feet, wipe them with her hair, and break open the only thing she has of value, this alabaster box, and anoint him. She gave all that she might. That she might just be obedient. And Jesus turned to her and blessed her. Did you catch it? Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. And to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he turned to her and he said, Thy sins are forgiven. <laughs> because she understood her need. The nation of Israel and Haggai didn't understand their need. And the call to repentance was great. Their need was great. And God wants to pour out a blessing on them. Let's take a look at that part. Turn back with me to Haggai chapter 2, verse 20. We'll finish up here. Haggai 22 20 says, And again the word of the Lord came into Haggai in the 420th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel. Now he's the leadership, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth. And I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. And I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen. And I will overthrow the chariots 
and those that ride in them. And the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shethiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet. Now pause, put a pen in it right there. I read all with the last phrase, and I want you to grab a hold of some things here. The Lord comes by, by way of Haggai, and he comes to Zerubbabel, who is over this area. And he's told, he, everybody's heard this, including Zerubbabel. He's heard everything that Haggai's got to say. He he's talked about the repentance. And he's, apparently the Lord is pleased with Zerubbabel. And he's been called out. Chosen. Can I ask a question real, real quick here? How many of you have been called out by God? Not for leadership per se. That have been called out by God for salvation. Show of hands. You've been saved. You've been born again. Okay, if you've been born again, then there is something you need to learn here. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And now he wants you to be in that place where he can bless you. And that's where Zerubbabel is. Zerubbabel's in that place where now he is going to be the signet. Now, what does that mean? That's a fancy word. He's basically going to be the symbol of what God is going to do. Are you going to be the symbol of what God is going to do with you in your sphere of influence? The people around you, do they know you as the signet? Do they know you as the, the anointed of God? Do they know you as one who has been born again by the Spirit of our God? And if they do, are you the signet, are you the light to them? Here's what it says, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, the difference between worship in the Old Testament and worship in the New Testament is one thing. Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no difference. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, see, in the Old Testament, you needed the blood of bulls and goats to push forward sin from year to year. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ shed his blood for our sins that we might be holy and righteous before God. We now have a purview into the throne room of God that we never had before. And that entails the difference. God has called these priests and God has called these prophets. Now he says, I'm going to call my people. And he does it by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. He says, you're going to be my people. Called by my name, man. When you come to our study on Wednesday night when we talk about this, we, we've gotten to this place where, where we have been a called people for his purposes. What an exciting time we have right here. I'll give you a couple of things. First, there's a promise to restore them to political power. That comes. But that is, that is for the nation of Israel, specific. And then God, through Haggai, promises the return of peace. Now, there's a couple of things we can apply here. We can apply it to the nation of Israel, and we can apply it to the church of Christ in the New Testament. Under the blood of Jesus, there is peace now made, right? We find that in, in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 in particular. Peace of God that we can have. We were outside, now we're inside. 
main difference. And thirdly, God declares that he will make, take Zerubbabel and by extension all of Israel and make him his chosen one. Man, if you're going to be the chosen one of somebody, it better be God. You know, I don't care if I'm the chosen one of the company I work for. I don't care if I'm the chosen one even of this church. I don't care if I'm the chosen one in my community. I don't care if I'm governor of the state of Arkansas, president of the United States. It doesn't matter. I need to be chosen by God. I need to be his chosen one first. Whatever he does after, that's his business. It's even more descriptive. He promises to make them his signet ring. This is a powerful reminder that God is deeply loved. He deeply loves Zerubbabel and Israel, and that God is also entrusting him with his authority, which is symbolized by the ring. God desires all of us who have been called out of darkness to be his signet, to be his ring, to be his authority. But he can't do that if you're allowing the sin of your life to, to have authority over you. You need to repent and get it right. God wants us to flourish. He wants, us to, he wants to bless us. Let's get to the business of repentance so that we can get to the business of flourishing again. Let's stand. Father, as we come before you this morning, we ask you, Lord, to help us. The solemn prayer is this. Reveal the sin in our life that we might repent of it. And once we repent, Lord, help us to be obedient to your word. Not to our own hearts, not to our own desires, but to your word. That, Lord, we might flourish and be available to be flourished. Help us, O oh God. We give you all the praise and the glory. And these things we pray in the name of Jesus.